0: Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Daniel Shuloff. He is the CEO and founder of Keto Natural Pet Foods and he's also the author of a book called Dogs, Dog Food and Dogma and I'm super excited and very passionate about this subject. So welcome Daniel.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. It sounds like we're going to have a ton to talk about. We're You listeners don't know that we just swap dog stories, personal dog stories for like 15 minutes. And I'm sure we could do it for the the rest of the evening if we were so inclined.
0: Oh, that's for sure. Okay, Daniel, let's just start off with your background. I am super intrigued that you were a lawyer, but you left that profession to start this dog food company. I want to hear all about that.
1: You know, so, so you're 90% of the way, right? I, I. I am a lawyer. I, I used to practice as a lawyer. I don't practice law anymore. And I did leave it to do dog stuff, but I actually left to write the book. I like, it was, I, I published my book in 2016 and founded keto natural pet foods shortly thereafter. It's kind of like if you're somebody who read the book and you're persuaded by it, you think that I'm talking stuff that's true, then we make products for people like you. But like at the time, Basically, when I was working as an attorney, the prod the book project became too big for me to do as a side gig, and so I left it for that. Um, But yeah, basically, like I got, I was a single guy living in a major city, working too hard as a corporate lawyer, and I got a dog, and he was the man, and he changed my life, and I really loved him. And I he was a Rottweiler. This is you know you you've said you've read my book, you know this like I he was a Rottweiler, and. Bit prototypical, or stereotypical uh, Rottweiler, which is to say like intense, big, strong dog, lot of, you know, personality. And um, he needed, you know, daily exercise in order to be a polite member of society. And I was a very busy person. And so trying to understand the, um, like how to exercise him most effectively to keep his behavior in check was, became a subject of interest for me. And in the course of just trying to understand that, I started to understand the problem of obesity among pets in the Western world. And it just kind of like hit me over the head with how serious of a thing it was. I just like kind of couldn't believe it. Um, and every time I try to like tell this story, I kind of highlight two specific facts about the obesity problem among pets in the Western world that caught me that I just like, that I almost couldn't believe. Number one, is that it's so common that it's the norm. So it's like, if you pick the next dog you see on the street, just at random next animal that you see, you're more likely to pick an overweight or obese dog than a healthy body condition dog. It's more common for them to be fat than not fat. Number two, um, and this, you hear the two together and it's just like, how could this be? It's worse for a dog than a lifetime of smoking is for a person. So just being like, Not, not colossal, like a lot lot of folks, myself, once upon a time, you kind of don't know what obesity looks like in a dog. Like, you, you know, there's, there's a certain kind of dog where everybody's like, oh yeah, that dog is way too fat, but there's a big chunk of dogs in America that are too fat help as a matter of health, but it's hard. It's not immediately obvious. You might say, oh no, this dog has got a perfectly healthy body composition. But as, as per the science, it's actually too fat. Just those kind of dogs. So, not the like super obese, massive belly is dragging in the dirt type dogs, but just the ones that are like moderately overweight, worse for their lifespan than a lifetime of smoking is for a person. And so, Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, this is something that is within the control of the pet owner, right? Like, I mean, this is something that you should be able to. It's one thing Mm -hmm. when we've got to lose weight ourselves and we got to deny ourselves, you know, these attractive food products, like, Okay. I'm just choosing what my dog eats. I'm, I'm the one in control of his life. And every other pet owner is just like me. And we all love our dogs as much as I love my dog. And we're all smart, caring people. We're all willing to spend a lot of money on it. And half the dogs, more than half the dogs are smoking. It's just like, okay, this is too weird. This doesn't make sense. Like what's the explanation for this? And the explanation that you read the only explanation that the veterinary community will tell you, and I use the word, you know, the word dogma is in my book title <laughs> because this is what it is. It's just a matter of dogmatic agreement. It's just like pet owners are loving their pets to death. That's why we've got an <laughs> obesity problem. We're all just, you know, too weak willed. Like they beg and we just go, I'll f- take all the food or we're like too s- stupid. We just like obesity. Is that, I didn't know. Is that a problem? I didn't know it's bad for a dog to be fat or lazy like you know well, the dogs would be just fine if they could if you would just give it enough exercise and you know at the, at the same time we have, have like just a, the problem with cats is just as bad with dogs and like targeted exercise for a cat is like not a thing so like okay clearly that's not the so none of those things made sense to me and it just seemed like there had to be more to the story and that's basically the origin of like what became a four year project of just like going deeper and deeper and deeper, and then leaving my job and making it my job. And at the end of the day, it turned into a big, serious book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, I haven't finished the book, but what I have read, it really hits home for me in a lot of ways. Number one, because as we talked about earlier, April 1st, I lost my chocolate lab. (sighs) Love that dog. She was my dog. And it was heartbreaking for our whole entire family heartbreaking. And I blame what I fed her. I I blame it on that. I'm not saying that it's necessarily my fault, but. Good gosh, I'm a nutritionist for heaven's sakes. I coach people. How did I not know that that wouldn't apply to my dog? And, you know, she had been on thyroid medication, a dog on thyroid medication. That's ridiculous. If you think about it. And then she became diabetic. And that's what she ultimately died of was, uh, complications from diabetes because she could no longer take the insulin and be able to use it. And she was at maximum dosage. We even had to get bigger needles specifically ordered, especially ordered for us. That's how bad it was. And she went into ketoacidosis twice, and then she started having seizures and it was just gosh, awful. And we had to make that horrible decision and I blame it on the food. I do.
1: Absolutely. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I I have like I told you I went through it recently with my dog that is yeah. you know I, the the book has a first person narrative style where it's like me tell, taking the reader along when I go do all the things and, and it's the,
0: very good oh, by the way oh thanks I um, like
1: it I'm glad you like it my uh, dog is like character you know it's like I'm telling you about my relationship with my dog and taking you along mm-hmm. with that well that dog mm-hmm. it that you know inspired the book and inspired my company is is now gone as of February mm-hmm. and uh yep it's been it was 2020 21 have been very difficult years on a million levels and oh yes that's unquestionably the hardest thing for me it was I,
0: I agree I 100%, 100% agree horrible and we have another dog she's older and she's been in bad shape for a while but yet it was, it she's, she doesn't have diabetes. She doesn't have anything like that, but she started having like these neurological issues and she started having, um, you know, muscle waste and all this kind of crazy stuff. And now I did switch them to a raw diet, but it was just a little too late, unfortunately for both. And my dog has major gut issues. You can just tell, cause she's not able to utilize the nutrients. You can tell by looking at her waist, that Things are just going through, you know what I mean? And so I know, and being what I do, I understand how that the physiological parts of it. And so it, it's heartbreaking because I, I, there's not a whole lot I can do for her at this point.
1: Well, so, unless I feel a, like a um, sense of like blame or like, uh, you know, guilt over hmm. it. Like the way you said it resonates with me as a pet owner too, because like, Yeah, it is that I do believe that nutrition is a colossally impactful variable when it comes to the health of these guys. At the same time, I know from seeing it as an investigative person and as a member of the industry and as a consumer that there are few industries where the consumer is at a bigger disadvantage and is faced with a bigger challenge than in the world of pet food. It's just we all want the same thing. We're all willing to spend money on good health. Generally, Mm -hmm. want to make food that's going to make the dogs healthy, and it is so hard to sift through all of the the millions of claims and hundreds or thousands of product choices, and come to some kind of well reasoned like rationale for what what you're doing. It's so uh, there's so much misinformation, there's industry, for, there's just like the, all the stuff a catalog in the book is just like makes it a very difficult environment.
0: It really is. And and it's very parallel to human nutrition too, because what we're taught, what we are told is good, including our doctors, the government, our mothers, our, our friends, you know, they all tell us, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. And then we have veterinarians uh, like saying, Oh, raw diet, diet, you know, is terrible. You need to eat the kibble. And I'm like, and now that my eyes are so open, I'm like, what the heck sense does that make dogs are only 0.02 percent different than a wolf would <laughs> yeah, you tell yeah. a wolf it needs to eat grain
1: i mean yeah, the the um it's it's like that that phenomenon the phenomenon of smart people and i the, you know veterinarians by and large i the ones i know and have met professionally at least are by and large very smart people that have the capacity to learn huge amounts of information and deploy it at a professional level to make help to do things that really do help it is incredible to me the kind of logic you'll hear articulated by those people to try to defend what they have been taught in over the course of their professional (laughs) lives and in their education um but have never like seriously engaged with and 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 tried to be uh, to approach with a critical eye. Like the logic that when you say something as simple as my dog is so similar to a wolf, why shouldn't it eat? Like that there is a canned response for that, and it's not it's not only like it's it's beyond like laughable. It's not college level understanding of evolution. Like the, like I saw this literally like I don't know a week ago on Twitter a veterinary handle complaint. You know a lot of, like any. Um, kind of job focused handle people will complain about the the tough parts of their job and somebody said some vets says something is basically like don't you just hate it when a pet owner comes in and is like i want to feed my dog raw because that's what it a wolf eats and evolved from a wolf and it's like honey is your pug out there on the um prairie taking down a buffalo too and it's like the face palm emoji and it's just like oh my god like you you're, you've, you don't have to learn, evo- like understand the basics of evolution to understand science. You can just learn the, what the scientific findings are. But like when you see somebody that doesn't understand what the concept of evolution is and why it's impactful and how it works at a professional level and racking up the um, likes. Uh, having said it, it's just like, oh, God, it's so disconcerting. Oh, it so. is so, so
0: so much so and it's very frustrating and you see the same thing with human health too you know when when you say stuff like well we should eat a little bit more like our ancestors (laughs) well are we hunting down mammoths you know and it's like uh no (laughs) but you know
1: i know no i know i don't know it's just I think, I mean, look, self-awareness is difficult, challenging, looking at yourself and saying, maybe I don't know everything there is to know about this. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing for me to do. I'm not great at it. And um, when you are taught, a perf- when you paid you know hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> to be taught something at a professional caliber, and then something comes along that challenges that very, really fundamentally. It says like, hey, you've been taught nonsense, basically. Like you've had, for these reasons, you've been taught stuff that's not true. That's a tough, and, and the person telling, you know, the guy coming along to tell you that is a guy who was a lawyer who decided he was going to quit his job to write this, finish this book. It's like, there's, that's tough hurdle to clear. It's a tough barrier to entry and not everybody's listening to that. And so it takes time. It's like, you Stay engaged. in
0: your lane. Stay in your lane.
1: I know. But it's like, that's how I, look, I do, uh, this is not a thing that's like all veterinarians are like this. It's like, no, all people are like this. I do the same exact thing. And if you engage with somebody, it's one thing. Once you engage, then great. But if you don't do it, then you're not alone. Everybody does it, but it just means change takes a really long time. Because like, unlike in, um, when it comes to doctors and human nutrition, the world of veterinary nutrition and like what's taught to veterinarians in the course of their professional education is small enough. That whole, like, it's, there are 28 veterinary schools. The vast majority of them do not require nutrition in the curriculum. Okay. So you literally don't have to take a single nutrition course. The ones that do require it in the vast majority of those cases, it's a two credit course. So a uh, the, the kind of least intensive course that the program offers, the, there are big fat, legit veterinary nutrition textbooks. There are like three of them that are in circulation right now, but the vast majority of general like in order the general curriculum course and veterinary nutrition that these schools require, don't use them. They use pamphlets created by the instructor. So you're talking about stuff that's like this thick. And this is not stuff, you know, so it's like a quarter as thick as my book. And my book is about one subject for one species, obesity in dogs. This this pamphlet for the professionals is about all issues pertaining to nutrition. So everything about nutrition for all species other than humans, okay? Snakes through, you know, walrus. And so that's the level of, that's just the issue of depth. Okay. Like that's like, assume it's all true. Everything in there is true. Already you've got an issue because it's not sufficient depth to go into the subject, but what's worse and what's really the core of the problem is that the content is not just like not deep enough, it's actively misleading. And the reason that it's actively misleading is that these big industrial forces, so a cluster of companies that I refer to in the book as Big Kibble, have a huge, huge, huge outsized influence in the veterinary and nutritional science community. It's a tiny community. The amount of funding is less than 1% what's in the human nutritional community and it, basically all the funding that there is comes from these very few organizations. You're talking about like literally three companies. They own like research institutions. They employ the majority of the veterinary nutritionists in the United States. Okay. And so it's like, that's, and and as you can imagine, you're not, um, if, if big tobacco is funding your study, like you're not writing the, the paper on smoking, causing lung cancer, that just doesn't happen. And so, I mean, like, yeah, so basically that's the, you know, I can give you examples and take you into the weeds all day, but basically the issue is these companies have a huge, a number of huge vested interests on what the science should show in order to be best for business. And they have figured out ways to make sure that that is what the science is taught to the veterinary community. And then once you teach them, it's hard for somebody to go break through and say, you were taught something wrong.
0: Yeah, And it's, to me,
1: follow the money
0: follow the money. Sure. And that's the same with human nutrition. And, you know, again, once your eyes are open, call me a conspiracy theorist. I do not care. Follow the money. And if you have a logical thinking brain, you should come to the same conclusion.
1: That's right. And so it's I mean, like, hey, my, this is a little bit of an aside, um, because at, at present, the best way I can say this is what I intend to do. I haven't done this yet. So but it's on my checklist of things to do. What would, I believe, improve the community, the the veterinary, like the research science community when it comes to matters of veterinary nutrition, what would improve it dramatically is if there was some other alternative source of funding besides, like right now, even if Big Kibble isn't funding your study, if you write a paper with funding from somebody else and it's gonna be anti something that's core to, to the Big Kibble industry, you are, sci- that is professional suicide. Like even if it's not you know, like that's, that's, yes. you're going to have to go to that benefactor at some point in your career. If your job is to publish new science, you can't just be like, I'm going to alienate the, the elephant in the room. That is a, that's like I said, like professional suicide. So there needs to be some kind of source of funding for, for those scientists that want to do good groundbreaking work on issues that really matter, but don't want to kill their careers. And so- that's that's basically what I think needs to exist. And we're in a world where political candidates can get funding from small donors mm-hmm. on an individual basis and run legitimate campaigns and be successful. And the kind of thing can be used to crowdfund new science, I believe as well. So it just takes time. Count, count me in,
0: count me in, I, I, I'm with you.
1: You're not the first to say it. I'm glad to hear you're into it. And uh, it's a good idea because I, everybody that's like, oh yeah, that's a great, we need to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it just takes, it's hard to well, like set it up in a way I own a kibble company now, you know what I mean? Like I'm in now. And for that thing to function well, it cannot be something that I can influence. I got to basically create it and pull Mm -hmm. the ladder, make sure that I'm not able to like, it's got to, so it's harder to do than it might sound. Um, But it's something that the kind of thing has been done. I just got a lot on my plate.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is very difficult to do. Matter of fact, um, in the, the carnivore meat-based world, I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Baker, Dr. Sean Baker, but um, he started a fund to, uh, get an actual real study done on people who eat meat only, not meat mixed with seed oils and grains and all that crap and French fries and all that mess, just meat. Cause it's never, ever, ever been done, but yet all this bad stuff is related back to meat. So he has got, he's coming up, I think on $300,000 so far, he's trying to reach a million and to get a really good study done, but he's going to, you know, hand it over to a private, uh, research lab and let them handle it but it be funded from all of us we all pitched him money and so you know he's starting to do that and that's what I think we're gonna have to do because I'm sorry I, I this is a horrible thing to say but I don't trust the science anymore I don't
1: yeah I mean that's I, I agree with you I'm not um yeah it's got a like for me I don't believe that um like when I read a study I my response is not, this might just be a lie. These people might've mm-hmm. just made this and it's just fraudulent. Mm-hmm. But what I have developed over the course of my career is skepticism regarding it. And mm-hmm. I don't believe, I believe that science is often used as a, um, you know, research science as a tool to advance a predetermined agenda mm-hmm. rather than a source mm-hmm. of finding truth. Yes. And so using that Type of perspective, I think, has like it helps try to interpret the record that's out there, you know, um, and so that's that's the best I'm able to come up with at this point. Um, fortunately, when it comes to the issue that is at kind of at the heart of my book, which is the issue of obese, why are so many dogs in the United States obese? Um, science is not um, you don't have to like there's no unproven stuff going on there basically, here here are some of the things that we know about obesity and how it works in dogs and cats. Um, First is that all the physiological like nuts and bolts that underpin the understanding of obesity that you and every one of your listeners has this like, you know, carbs become uh, glucose during digestion, they get absorbed into the bloodstream as glucose, glucose causes insulin levels to go up so that the the glucose goes places, it goes into fat tissue and causes fat accumulation, all that, that's black letter physiology. It's taught in every veterinary, uh, endocrinology textbook on the planet. That's, you know, that's just how it works in them too. Uh, in addition, there are on at least six different occasions, What has been done in the world of dogs and cats is something that is difficult to do in the world of human beings, which is a isocaloric, well-controlled feeding trial. So like with people, it's tough to like, be like, to monitor exactly what they eat Mm -hmm. every day for a relatively long period of time, to monitor exactly what they do every day for a long period of time with a relatively large number of people. It's tough to get people to sign up for that. Dogs and cats, it's not very hard at all. You know, that they're eating kibble anyway, like the it's not at all weird to give the dog the exact same food every single day at the exact same schedule. You can control it perfectly. You know exactly what the animal is taking in. And they're living, even in like home environments, are typically living pretty confined lives in the first instance, where you can control the activity levels reasonably well. And so, on at least six different occasions, researchers have taken two groups of animals, two groups of dogs or cats and had them live ostensibly exactly the same lives and given them exactly the same number of calories, okay isocaloric, exactly the same. Only thing different is that the macros are different. In the one group they get more protein and less carbohydrate. The other group they get more carbohydrate and less protein. and they look at body composition among other things. done it six times every single time the exact same thing happens. Dogs on the higher carbohydrate diets get fat. Dogs on a lower carbohydrate, or yes, dogs on lower carbohydrate diets (laughs) don't get fat, and it's significant every single time. There's literally never been a time that someone's done that study and go and see same number of calories in same body composition. It's never happened that way. Every single time it comes out this way, it's indisputable. You cannot defend. It would be like there's not a court. You know, I'm a lawyer. You can't, there's no judge in the world that would not agree with you when you say that it is a matter of scientific fact that calorie for calorie, carbohydrate is more fattening for dogs and cats than other macronutrients, period. You feed them the same number of calories, but more carbohydrate, they're gonna get fatter. So go to the obesity chapter in your veterinary nutrition textbook. Calories in, calories out, that's all that matters. There's no discussion of carbohydrate. Not one of those studies is cited, period, ever. And so that's the like, you know, that, that's sort of the, the, what the, what does the science say is like half of my book is just like, here's what the studies say. And there's what it says about this issue. But like at the end of the day, that's kind of the only body of evidence that really matters. Like that's, that's just, that's the, the test you do to figure that issue out. And it's been done not once a lot. It's been done a lot and it's easy to understand how they set it up and all that stuff. And they find the same result. And it's a question of why that is not the dogma. And that story is the more interesting one that requires real you know, investigative work to understand.
0: Do you have any theories?
1: Of course, um, it's, so it's like this. It's a tale as old as time in the United States um, where an industry comes along and it makes something that's really useful. People want it and it becomes a big industry. And then only after it gets big, does some scientific work get done and we realize, oops, this thing that everybody likes, that's really popular, that's made big industries is doing a bad thing. So this is the story of smoking and tobacco in the United States. This is the story of big oil companies and climate change in the United States. This is the story of sugar. In the United States, and in all those cases, because the industry is so large, by the time the work is done that says, "Guys, we got a problem here," they don't. They they may have started out with totally noble intentions. Like, no, even cigarette companies is like as bad guy as a cigarette company feels. They didn't start companies going, "Ha ha ha, we're gonna make that. We're evil." We're gonna hurt all these people, but we're gonna get rich doing it, let's do it. Nobody is like that evil. I don't, I mean, maybe. So. But you hope not. <laughs> they start and they just don't realize it's bad. And they get big and they're super stoked and they're happy and they're rich and they're making something that people like, then somebody says, no, it's bad. And at that point it becomes really hard to turn the ship around. You've got too many vested interests and it's so much easier to fight back and push back and try to control the information flow then just go throw up your hands and say, like, you know, Philip Morris doesn't make nicotine gum. You know what I'm saying? Like GM didn't just go, oh yeah, well, we're just gonna like be Tesla. Like that, that's not how that happens. It takes a long time for things like that to change. Like the, in the United States, um, the Surgeon General in the mid 1950s, 1956, I think, um, put out a huge report that's basically the, the constitutional document that said, guess, guys, smoking causes lung cancer. Okay. Top health official in the United States, massive report, completely conclusive. Smoking levels in the United States began to fall. 30 years later, three decades until it started. And that's when the surgeon general stood up in front of the entire country. It's like, there are, there's all, you can, you want to play that game fighting information warfare against a billion dollar industry. They will do it. And in the world of veterinary nutrition, it's, it's much easier than in most places because the universe is so small. They can literally employ more, I mean, so here's a fact from my book. There are about 100,000 vets in the rough, rough terms. There are about 100,000 vets in the United States. There are fewer than 100 board certified veterinary nutritionists, okay? Fewer than 100. The majority of the board certified veterinary nutritionists work for one of the three big cable companies, the majority, okay? So you have less than one non big kibble vet per state and everybody else is getting the one centimeter thick course on you know i i've the, uh, like there's a i don't have a photo of it in my book but i have the thing at home the one from nc state university you know basically one of my veterinary sources gave me her thing and it's from nc state university which is one of the top three veterinary schools in the United States. It's an animal nutrition course. It's got these cute little fo- drawings of sheep and you know cows and stuff like that on the front, and it's laughable. It's it's it is what you would use a, to teach a middle schooler about, and it's that's what the vest. And so it's just like if you've got, I don't. know, I mean, I can just do this all day long. It's like you know, there is um, the practice of um, marketing. Food products, pet food products, through veterinarians, and really trying to shape veterinary impressions around what is healthy and what's not for a dog, um, came uh, out of toothpaste. Basically, um, the a company called Hills Pet Nutrition—that's what they're called now—had um, been making food, pet food, out of Kansas since once forever ago, and they got—they did so well they got acquired. They got acquired by Colgate, Paul Paul Palmolive is a company that makes all kinds of big consumer products, things, including toothpaste. And at the time they acquired Hills, they had just done, they had executed a specific marketing strategy to hugely successful effect. They had sold toothpaste through dentists rather than trying to go out there and say to the public, this, let me convince you why our toothpaste is the healthiest toothpaste. They just realized all we got to do, people just trust their dentists. And people don't know. They don't want to know, learn the science of teeth. They just want their dentist to tell them. So we all we got to do is win the dentists and then we'll win the public. And they had huge success doing it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing high fives and then they acquired a dog food company. And they said, we're going to do the exact same thing. And so the Hills Pet Nutrition business model is, you can't, I mean, the vast majority of their products are prescription only. And they're like, it, it is, I mean, it's laughable how, Unscientific, the like prescription formulas, you know, there's like a brain health formula where Mm -hmm. it's, you know, they're they had two groups of dogs doing like, uh, I don't know, like a cone, like a moving around the cones study of behavior and like neural processing. And it's it's just like some very big and 10% better. And it's oh, it's an effect. And so it's it's better. It's just like the most it's just complete nonsense. But I mean, like the whole business model for the entire company and it's a very successful company has just been. We're going to pitch it through the veterinarians and the people are going to trust the veterinarians. And if that, if they do, then we're going to win the day. And so that's the whole business model. And they go around, they, um, you know, in the legal profession, just like in the medical profession and tons of other professional industries, you have to take continuing education uh, courses in order to stay certified and your, your various things it exists in the veterinary world. Well, Hills Pet Nutrition, I went to several of them in the course of researching my book. They put on free, well, you know, CUSH continuing education nutrition courses. And they're just Hills marketing pitches. They're just, mm-hmm. just and it, you get your, and, it, and so anyway, that's the, the, the mm-hmm. story of how that, that became a thing. And then obviously successful, other brands copied, copied it. And now you got this like completely captive industry. And it's just wild.
0: It is. is so crazy. And that's the same thing that is used with humans and nutrition, like with the diet dietitians. I mean, you know, their continuing education is funded by people like Coca-Cola. Hello. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> Come on now, you know, and yet we are supposed to just bow down and go, oh, they obviously know what they're doing because they have this great education. But then, and I'm not saying there aren't good ones because I know some really good ones, but uh, it, it's so, it's just so frustrating and it's sad to, to see what has happened with both human and pet nutrition. Same thing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's tough. You want to talk about, what to do about it. It's, it's difficult, difficult problems like to come up with a solution that doesn't involve making the pet owning public really scientifically literate. You know, mm-hmm. any world in which you're essentially going to say, I'm going to trust an expert on, I, I don't know mm-hmm. how to do that. I don't know this. I'm going to pick my expert and trust that person, which is what the vast majority of us do. Mm-hmm. That's going to get taken advantage of. Somebody's going to buy that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's going to, Oh
0: yeah. It's that's human nature. With. It's
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can only learn, you know, I got a lot to think about in my life and the science of dog food. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't write a book about science of dog food, that's not really the top of the list of things that should be occupying my brain. But that's kind of the only in this world, sort of how it goes. And so, um, yeah, that and the funding. I mean, you you mentioned before that your 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 dog who passed recently dealt with diabetes.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'll tell you what, there's no more, there's no place where the reality and the veterinary dogma misalign worse than when it comes to that. It's just like, agree. The, the prescription products are forty percent carbohydrate.
0: Yeah, that makes no sense. Just like with human human nutrition, it's like you know what causes diabetes. You you know, but then. What causes that cause to happen? You know, you know what it is, but yet they it's, recommend it more of it.
1: It's yeah, it's bec- and that's that's sort of the phenomenon I was referring to before when I tried to describe like you see smart people give you the logic behind their thing. And it's just like, how can this be, you know, basically the logic behind recommending a kibble product that's 40 percent digestible carbohydrate. For a dog with diabetes, is well, the science says it's better. And the, the reality is, the science does say no, no, no. The science does say it's better. It says it's better than a product with 50% carbohydrate.
0: Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Go, okay. It is
1: better. There's been a study, it's been proven. You're going to, I know you're, you're Dan Shuloff is out there making car, kibble with 5% carbohydrate. But that's not been, there's no proof behind that. This is a very well, this has a, you know, it's like scientism. It's not, it's just like, there is, nobody's reading the study. It's just, there's a study that's, that, that's the thing. And um, yeah. And so you end up recommending a product that you spend two seconds thinking about it, two seconds. You just go, this is going to put this many more grams of glucose into this dog's body. It's going to need that much more insulin to deal with it. Why are you doing that? And you know, there's just, it's just the reasoning breaks down. And so you end up, you know. It's dumbfounding <laughs> to me. I'm oh my I'm you know, sorry. When your
0: eyes are open, it's like.
1: I know. Yeah. And, it, you know, there's just to complete the story. There's like, um, the you, as, as you can imagine, if you, you are a big cable company, one of the kind of threats that it, it behooves you to deal with is the emergence of raw pet food products. Um, and you know, those are often marketed as anti different and better than kibble. And, um, so kibble wants to deal with that in some kind of way. And so they've kind of coalesced around a strategy that exists through this same kind of, uh, funnel where it's basically, we're going to come up with a lot, a, a scientific defense, which is to say, based on somebody that's a professional nutritionist Writing something that is in a peer-reviewed journal. We're not. Don't worry about the defensibility of it or the peer-reviewed status, that kind of thing. But we're going to be able to say to our vets and when we teach them, we're going to be able to say, "No, it's in the journal. It's in the journal. Like this is proof." And and the it is basically this. Um, and it's genius. Like if you're not, it's evil genius, but it's genius. It's basically this: raw diet is bad, and the raw diet is bad is for this reason there's no proof that a raw diet is better. And two, and, and on the other hand, there is proof that your risk of some kind of sanitation problem at home, getting sick, getting human, not a dog, human, getting some kind of like stomach thing, salmonella, whatever is increased. Therefore don't do it. That's the logic that that's the logic period. And the, obviously the downside, the risk side, the salmonella thing is laugh. You know what I mean? Like that's, it is, that is a thing. Totally is a thing. It is a thing. It's a manageable thing. This is not something that is like, so it's just, it's like something that you, you said you're a raw feeder. Like you deal with it. It's not the end of the world. My hands
0: are up in, look at these nails. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're all up in there mixing it all
1: together.
0: And I'm peeling up. you know, giving
1: it requires more work than kibble, for sure. Oh, but it's it does. not the end of the day. It's like some for some people, that's fine. They're willing to do that because it's because of the benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the benefit side, they'll say, well, there's no evidence that raw better than um, kibble de facto. So no better and some risk, therefore bad. Yeah. And the no benefit argument goes like this is just like the reason that raw diets became popular. Um, among others, is you you couldn't find kibble that had a nutritional composition that was like what a dog would eat in the wild. You know what I mean? Like you, in order to make, so you, you have a keto focus on your show. Mm-hmm. You, in the human world, right? If you want to make, there are lots of products that are, the carbohydrates, not a necessary part, but it's been made with carbohydrate forever. And carbohydrate makes it a lot easier to make. So you try to bake bread without flour, it wants mm-hmm. to fall apart. You know what I mean? It doesn't hold together and you got to come up with some way to hack it, right? That's kibble as well, basically. It's like for ages, it was made with starch because it makes, it's like, that's how you make the product Mm -hmm. and it makes it easy and great, awesome. Um, And so if you wanted to feed something without that starch, you had to feed a raw diet. You're going to feed a raw diet because that's the only way. It doesn't have to hold together. It's just going to be. And so if what, basically what was done is like, you can't say that raw just because it's raw, if you feed me raw crap, like pardon my French, but if I do a <laughs> diet that is 85% raw cereal grains and corn and stuff like that, and a little bit of meat on top, that is not healthy for the dog. If you feed a raw, all meats diet, that is better. That is better. And so basically they set up this straw man argument where there, there's no nutritional proof that this raw thing is better because look, there are plenty of, and, um, and so yeah. the, that becomes the, why
0: bottom. is that? Why is that? I'm sure it is the exact same reason why it is in the human realm too, where they've demonized meat because it was studied along with all the crap and it didn't filter out. If you're a smoker, if you're this or that, if you ate, you know, seed oils, whatever the same, I'm sure is with this, what benefit would anybody have doing a study on just a raw diet versus kibble? Because who's going to fund it? who's going to fund
1: exactly it. it. That's exactly it. It's like, you're not going to do, if you're, if you're making cigarettes, you're not trying to put out that study on who gets more cancer. That's right. That's ever.
0: exactly right.
1: You're not doing it. And in yep. this world, unlike in, thank God, in h- matters of human public health, in a lot of places, at least we're tr- there, are, there are serious, passionate, smart, people trying to improve that system and they've made big headway in a lot of cases you know what i mean like it it is the case that we all know that cigarette smoking is bad despite the fact that it was once upon a time where you saw the ads is it more doctors smoke camels than they yes you know what i mean (laughs) it just takes time and it takes improvement and in this case Mm -hmm. unlike in human public health where at least i don't know it's about you it's about the voter like there's no constituents pets aren't electing anybody you know what i mean like there it's just a slower evolved thing. It's this small universe, like it's particularly small universe of people that they need to lean on and influence the veterinary nutrition community. And so they're really good at it. They're better at it than like tobacco, big tobacco probably ever was. And so it takes time, but it's the same, it's the same thing. It's just like, it sucks for the people, you know, in 20 years, nobody's having this, it's going to be the most second nature. Obviously there's so many building blocks of the arguments that I make that are so obvious, so straightforward that you can't deny them unless you're trying to fight through a kind of like misinformation campaign. you know what I mean like unless yeah. you're trying if you're just approaching the fresh set of eyes it's the most it's as clear as the nose interface. but in twenty years, that'll be one you know that that will be I don't know perceived in one kind of way, but it's just gonna take it takes time and it's unfortunate that dogs live you know ten yeah. to fifteen years yeah and it's just you only like
0: yeah. Well, I'm hoping that doing what I'm doing, starting out my puppy from the get go, I'm just hoping that I'm not going to see the same thing that I did with my last two dogs. It was too heartbreaking. I mean, you know, they're not going to live as long as you, but there was no reason why my dogs had to go through what they did. None was completely avoidable completely. I know. I, I just, I don't buy it any other way, you know? So, okay. Let's before, cause I'm going to try not to keep you too long, but I am in really loving this. this oh want, my gosh. I know.
1: Book, a, there, you have a lot of guests on your show talking about various little stuff. You have, be a, mm-hmm. you have to be specialized in the human nutrition keto community these days. Cause there's it's crowded space and you got to have a little thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, there aren't nobody's written. Like one of the reasons I wrote my books, like nobody's written that book in the, dog space. And so I'm one of a few, very few. And so it is uh, something I commonly experience. I come on a show for the first time we cover like this 10% of what we need to cover and we'll come back. Oh it. yeah. You know, yeah. Well, let's,
0: I want to get kind of to your company and okay. First of all, with your typical kibble, can you kind of go over what is in that kibble. That is so disturbing. Obviously the carbs, we know that. And then why yours is
1: different. Um, yeah. So basically when scientists talk about the role that food plays in health, they work through the lens of nutrition, right? It's like those are the building blocks around which we can discuss food's impact on health. Macronutritional content, micronutritional content. Outside of that, it's like any any other discussion, ultimately you're you're aiming to get down there. You might have to start by talking about um, is it served in a raw state or not, but ultimately you're just describing phenomena that are existing at the level of what is the nutrient? What is the nutrient composition? How denatured is the nutrient? What are the specific profiles? And so that is how I approach, I think is the most like uh, evidence-based way to approach matters of of how to feed your dog. What are you gonna feed your dog? So nutritional content is where I'm focused on. And so that's the core of the product philosophy for us is trying to develop products that are as comparable as possible to the nutritional profile that a dog evolved to eat, which is essentially 63% protein, 37% fat, 0% carbohydrate. Um, There are many more specifics when it comes to, when you get beyond the macros, right? There are essential amino acids that dogs need in certain um, amounts um, that they can't make on their own. Um, Unsurprisingly, they tend to be the same exact ones that are found in animal proteins and meat. Um, there are other vitamins and minerals that have, that they're like, there are well-documented deficiency diseases that dogs can develop. If they don't get enough of, or if they get things in the wrong balances. And so for us, it's about making sure that all those micronutrient things are buttoned up in perfectly documentable ways, not relying on faith. And then it's trying to make the macronutrient content as close as possible to what we're trying to achieve. And so for us, what that ends up looking like is more, so we make kibble products. Um, That's like, my goal is someday to make dog food products that are consistent with our philosophy in whatever format consumers want, You know, both raw, freeze-dried, canned, whatever people like. But what's really novel, what we do that's novel and unique and an innovation is to make kibble with very low carbohydrate content. So like our digestible carbohydrate content is less than 5% in our formulas, which is comparable to something like the Hills diabetes formula, it's like 42%. So it's, you know, our product is something like 90% less than that. And so when you feed it to a dog with diabetes, like go read, you know, FDA very sensibly, has rules that prohibit manufacturers from just coming out and saying my, my uh, pet food cures COVID or whatever. But you can read our reviews and you can see what real pet owners say about real measurable, definable things. Here's what happened to their insulin dosing when they switched on to, here's what happened to their, mm-hmm. excuse me, postprandial blood glucose when they switched on. So anyway, basically very low carbohydrate content, relatively high protein content relatively within the grand scheme of things very high within the scheme of kibble it's like typically around 50 percent protein 90 plus percent of that comes from meat sources so it's just like as much meat as possible as little starchy carbohydrate as possible make it in a kibble form make sure it's complete and balanced and those things ride above the rest that makes like basically um, a product that in the world of kibble is expensive Our bag, a large bag of ketona retails at about a hundred bucks for the chicken recipe, which is more than, you know, a large bag of like blue buffalo retails 50 bucks. So it's considerably more. Um, There are other things that are bells and whistles that like, if I had my druthers and somebody was like, you can make the best, what you think of as the perfect version of kibble and price is no issue for the consumer or for you there are, like, I'd probably try to ensure that, like, I mixed a um, assortment of, like, internal organs to supply all the micronutrient mm. content exactly the right way. It's like, no vitamin pre-mix mm-hmm. to it I like that. You know, I'd try to make sure that every, like, all the meat products are, like, raised humanely, slaughtered humanely, like, slaughtered local, like, all that kind of stuff. And we try to do the best that we can with respect to those things. Those are things that add a lot. And, like, the reality is that going huge on meat and tiny on carbohydrate changes the cost structure dramatically. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the reasons, besides the fact you like need it, or it was long thought you need it to bake things, basically, um, one of the reasons the carbohydrate is so common in kibble, and you'd not be surprised to learn, is that it's phenomenally inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And so half of your product, you know, it's basically one tenth the calorie of like corn is like one tenth the cost of a calorie of meat. So if you're If you're talking about the difference between 50% of your product costing one tenth and and 5%, it's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. Is that a good summary? It's like uh, we've done done a variety of things to solve the issue of making actual kibble without starchy carbohydrate. And that's like, that's the innovation that we bring to the market.
0: Yeah, I'm really quite horrified with what the ingredients are on a typical kibble and, you know, between seed oils and some sugar, you know, to, to make the dog addicted. And it's the same with human food. You know, they're doing it with pet food too, making it hyper palatable. So they become addicted to it. And when I switched my older dog to a raw diet, she wasn't just real fond. And you would think this 0.02 percent different than a wolf and why is this dog turning up her nose at raw meat what in the heck and she I I I know it was because of the kibble and what they put in it and that to me is horrifying they are doing to a dog what they're doing to humans too getting them addicted yeah you see a lot
1: of treats you know what I mean like treat like my I don't know dogs go bananas when it's feeding time But in treat, if you look at one of the things that it's like relatively uncommon, at least in my experience, seeing like sugar additives to kibble, like to, to like daily feeding products, Mm -hmm. but they're like sweeteners are very common in treat products like, uh, uh, like milk bone or soft chew type products there. And I, I, yeah, that's where I've seen that really come home to roost is like, yeah, it's really
0: it's, it's disgusting. You know, now that I get it, I see it. I understand it now. I'm like, if you even knew how many milk bones I gave my dogs, uh, horrifying, you know, what my dogs get now they get freeze-dried chicken, uh, chicken hearts, uh, liver. Um, and they, that's, love that's,
1: it. Our, we only make our treat products are just freeze-dried single. Awesome. And it's just zero carbohydrate.
0: Uh, we were
1: not novel that, that's something you can go and find like other vendors are yeah. making that kind of product already like making kibble finding a way to like you know it's like it's hard to find keto bread like it's just hard mm. to people hadn't figured out Good. a way to make, we figured out a way yeah. we talked about it before you're talking about how you are into collagen as a nutritional source. that's what
0: i was about to bring up
1: part of the way like our kind of, we got a few building blocks that kind of allowed us over a period of it so i published my book in 2016 late 2016. And then by the time I had published it, it was like, there's, if you want to, if you're like, if you read the book and you're persuaded by it, or you're somebody that thinks the same way that I articulate in the book, even though you haven't read it, you're just like low carbohydrate diet is definitely one of the most important things for me for for feeding my dog. It's a tough environment in 2016. Mm -hmm. You can feed a raw diet, which is a great fit for some consumers. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you're somebody who's got a really little dog, it's like not so bad at all. Yeah. The cost, you know, it's like on a per calorie basis, the cost is considerably more than even the fanciest kibble. You're talking about like five times or more as much. And, but if you've got a little dog, kibble is so freaking inexpensive at the first instance that it's not that big a deal. The difference between 50 cents a day and 250 a day is something most people can stomach. And so if you can manage the sanitation and preparation stuff, boom, perfect job solved. We were talking before the show. I have a St. Bernard. My girlfriend has two other dogs of her own. So we have roughly 300 pounds of dog in our house. Woo. Okay. So that's the equivalent of if you have a 15 pound dog. It's 20 times like the dog, the domestic dog is the most physically diverse species land species on the planet. So, you, you know, it's not weird at all. It's not even like the, the, strongest example to see one dog be 10 times as large as another and without any weird genetic abnormality you know it's like if it is like running across a 50 foot tall person you know Mm -hmm. like that's really weird and uncommon and um so but it's the norm and so like the, the difference there adds up so it's like if it's the difference between 50 cents a day and 250 for one person one small dog that difference might be between 10 bucks and 80 bucks for me that's totally different so that's not a good option for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the other option is feed the lowest carbohydrate kibble you can find. And at that point, that was like basically 30% carbohydrate. Yeah, that's
0: obviously. what we did.
1: Yep. And that's a ton. I mean, it's like, it's the best option you can, but mm-hmm. it's still a ton. And so, you know, we basically said, okay, we're gonna try to make something that marries the two. And um, I basically, once I published the book and did a press cycle for it, got started with that right away. That's what became Keto Natural Pet Foods. And it took us about a year to figure out working with the people you want to work with the like food scientists veterinarians formulators manufacturer to try to make something that nobody had made and so it's got kind of a few different building blocks that like allowed us to make bread that does you know like kibble that doesn't fall apart mm-hmm. it's like number one there are animal ingredients that have binding qualities that like starch has when you heat it up but aren't starch and collagen is one of those mm-hmm something that plays a role in our formulas um another is the size of the kibble it sounds stupid but it's true it's like small kibble small dough less binding force required to hold that together mm-hmm. so we relatively small kibble you see a lot of folks it's a gimmick but you see it commonly it's like there's the large breed formula where the uh-huh. nugget gets <laughs> small breed or small, but i have a saint bernard okay and he has eaten ketona for longer than any dog that is currently on the planet earth so and he's Pretty stoked, so uh, not not an issue. Um, that's something. Um, there are indigestible sources of, like fiber, is a essential nutrient for a dog. It's a loosely defined one, but it's like if you ask the regulator, you got to put a certain amount of fiber in there. Fiber will, in some ways, hold the product together, but it doesn't get digested. It just passes through the animal without being digested. And then we've got you know, it's it's still at the end of the day five percent starch we've, you know, got to use some, and that was kind of the lowest we could get it and still get it to hold together into a kibble that we could bag and sell that way.
0: I love that. I I think that's awesome. And as far as when you're talking about price, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yes. When you feed your dog raw or in your case, your the kibble you make, it, it does cost more, but here's the thing. If you add up all of the vet bills that I had to put out, the syringes, the insulin, the gabapentin, the thyroid medication, I'm gonna tell you that the food we feed our dog is not as expensive as that.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. If you got a dog, I mean, diabetes is like the again, it's just the awful. most primary, just awful. It's just like you gotta spend mm-hmm. insulin's expense. You just gotta mm-hmm. buy a lot of things and the food is a drop in the bucket. Um yep. Another, another fact that's worth kind of like thinking about when you think about this issue too is on a per calorie like it's not that so our kibble is in the world of kibble is quite expensive. very, mm. very super premium, very expensive. but it's still hugely inexpensive. like I mean on a per calorie basis, you are bu- when you're buying the nicest kibble you, you can find or the nicest you know the nicest raw diet that you can find, you might feel like you are feeding of the filet mignon of the world. It's just a step down from Mm -hmm. filet mignon. That is not the reality here. Okay. This is like, if I, on a per calorie basis, if you were to switch your dog from a, the nicest kibble you can find onto a all quarter pounder and fries diet, or just pick the junkiest, whatever the junkiest human food you can think of is cheapest, whatever and just switch them over to that, you're talking about increasing your budget like eightfold. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like eightfold. Like it's just, it's it's so hugely inexpensive at baseline that any meaningful increase to bring it into the price that fucking, pardon my French, that food <laughs> costs. It's just, it feels like a sticker shock. But at the reality, that's only because it's so inexpensive at baseline that it feels that way. If that, does that make sense? You yeah. Know, if you're just Dog McDonald's every day, your kibble budget is going to go up by five, five to eight. You know, it's just like, uh, yeah. and you would never you would think that would be the least healthy thing in the world. So,
0: yeah, that's for sure. Okay. So how does somebody get your product? Is it only online or do you have a storefront?
1: Nope, only online. We have, okay. I, I bet another prediction, Dan Shuloff prediction here is in 20 years, there's just like no product that I think is like better suited for a direct to consumer ship it on a regular schedule than pet food. It's just like, it's something that mm-hmm. it, just very routine. They, they consume exactly the same amount of it every day. Mm-hmm. People and the brands they like, and they stick with it for a long period of time. It's heavy to carry around. You don't want to have to carry it home. And so it's just like, that's the best way to do it. We're a small company. And so for us, the best use of our resources, just put it all there. We got handy little widget on our website. That'll tell you if you want, like, okay, I want Uh, and here's how much my dog weighs. Here's what his activity level looks like. Here's how old he is. And he'll spit out exactly like the right serving size, but it's ketonaturalpetfoods.com. And, um, yeah, you can find it on major retail platforms as well, but we prefer to sell it to you directly through our website. Um, there's a coupon code that your listeners should know about. Oh, okay. The coupon code is podcast 20. The numbers two zero, no space. It's 20% off for anybody that mm. wants it for their first order. Um, we offer a 100% money back guarantee. So if you buy a product, if you're like, oh, my dog is a really picky eater. It might be a problem. I'm not willing to try risk. There is no risk. Like if you get it, zero questions asked. You don't have to ship it back to us. We don't, we give you a hundred percent refund. Like you don't have to pay the wow. cost. No questions asked. All you got it is so it's like, there's no, qu- I mean, like if you, we have, sometimes we have people that buy it, get cold feet and like we ship it out and they reach out and they go, I, you know, I don't want this after all. I don't issue a refund to you. Like that's not, you asked. that's me. You, that's not, that's not your dog didn't want it. But if your dog doesn't like, won't eat the product, doesn't poop the way you want it to poop. Food doesn't look the way you want it to. Son about the product. We give you hundred percent of the money back. You're good. We stand. by that. I love that. That is awesome. The, 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 the economics of pet food don't care too much about people that try it once and are done or not done. It's like long-term relationships with people that really like your product are what make it worthwhile. And so it's okay. We can eat the like, that's okay. That's awesome.
0: Okay. Where can people find your book?
1: The usual, uh, I don't know. Poke around, man. It's like uh, you can find uh, Amazon is where I typically send people to. There's an ebook version. We even have a thing on our website. This is still if you like ebooks, not audio, but ebooks, um, and you sign up for our email list on our website, we give you a bunch of free resources: science, nutritional yeah. science. One of the things is ebook, full ebook copy. So that's, that's something I've been lazy about taking down. Now that the book has become somewhat more popular, but It is. uh, So if you want, if you want to not give me any money and just go ahead and get a free copy, it's all good. You can do it that way. But yeah, Amazon um, is basically the place. (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, um, I have the uh, Kindle version from Amazon just because I wanted to be able to read it in book uh, in bed and not have to have, you know, a reader light. But I am... Really loving it, so I'm going to also get the the paperback version as well, so I can keep it in my library of favorite books with all my other, you know, library. I think I said library. Sorry about that, but that's my Don't Texas thing. Them. But <laughs> it's a, a, it's a wonderful. Mean,
1: book. It's kind of book that needs a second edition once in a while, like a you know, as the body of research develops. That's yes. the kind of thing that needs updating, and things will no longer be accurate. So there will be a second edition. Um, but I don't have a release date for that yet. And, awesome.
0: Um, love that. I do yeah. like
1: it. Or so if you have any questions, if any of your listeners have any questions, I'm pretty easy to find online. It's Daniel at keto, And I respond to everybody that emails me. So I love, to, you know, we, I've got it written on the website that like our website and on our social media, that if you want to talk about substantive matters of nutrition, if you disagree with me criticism whatever we're listening to that as long as you're polite about it professional Mm -hmm. tone and as long as we're talking about stuff that's got not feeling not like this just seems but like the science says this here's why that science is probably wrong or here's the the reason for why the science doesn't say what it does then we're we're having that conversation we're not running from that conversation anytime we'll talk about whatever um i'm all you know we're we're Small enough that we're developing still. We're not at that point where the bad science comes out and it's too late to turn the ship around. We're in this development phase where I'm trying to listen to people as much as possible because we can still make refinements, make improvements, and grow in like a directional way. So I, I love that kind of stuff. So
0: I love that. That that's that's awesome. And I am going to have you back on because I have totally enjoyed this. And I just think it's so incredibly important for this information to get out there. So I love that. And matter of fact, I'm going to order some of the the kibble too, just to have on yeah. hand for like yeah. when we go on vacation or something, just to make it easy. Because it, one of the issues we have with raw food is, you know, people are like, hey, what do I do? You know, and I would have it all ready to go in little containers and stuff, but that, you know, would be a, a good option too. So yeah. I, I'm going to order some of that so i will put the discount code below as well as all of daniel's information and while y'all are here subscribe to my channel and but i will have all of daniel stuff below so uh, no worries and daniel thank you so much for coming on i have really really enjoyed this
1: my pleasure. so did i i hope i get to come back again it was nice to meet oh
0: you me. definitely <laughs> you're on thanks daniel all
1: right bye
0: bye